want to begin today by reading a couple of stories to you guys. First one's about a medical doctor named Nathan Barlow. It says, Nathan was a medical doctor who chose to utilize his skills in Ethiopia for more than 60 years. Nathan dedicated his life to helping people with mossy foot. Mossy foot is a debil- debilitating condition primarily found in rural districts on people who work in soil of volcanic origin. It causes swelling and ulcers in the feet and the lower legs. And the subsequent deformity, the swelling, the repeated ulcerations, and the secondary infections make people with mossy foot social outcasts equivalent to lepers. Nathan felt called to minister to them. Once Nathan got a toothache, though, the pain of which was so intense he had to fly away from the mission field to get his medical attention. Nathan told the dentist that he, he never wanted to leave the mission field for the sake of his teeth again. And so he asked the dentist to pull out all of his teeth and to give him false ones so he wouldn't slow God's work in Ethiopia. This amazing man was the first to help rescue outcasts, and he spent his life doing it. Yet he died quietly without a lot of attention because no one really knew about him. Rich was a man who was born in 1955 in Richmond, Indiana, the third of six children. He began to study music at a young age and wrote his first song on the piano when he was just four years old. He got his start writing songs for some big-name recording artists, but in 1985, he recorded his debut album. For the next 12 years, he made music, he toured, he ministered to thousands of people through his simple yet weighty lyrics. His two most well-known songs are Awesome God and Step by Step. Although he didn't consider music to be his primary purpose in life, though, to him it simply enabled him to pursue the higher calling of loving people, children, his neighbors, his enemies, and those who didn't know Christ. Sometimes he showed up to his concerts unshaven and barefoot. To keep others from putting him on a pedestal, he would even confess his sins and his failures in public. In 1995, Rich moved to a Navajo reservation in Arizona to teach music to the children who lived there. Rich never knew how successfully his albums sold because the profits from his concerts and his albums went directly to his church. They paid him a small salary and gave the rest of the money away. In September of 1997, Rich and a friend were driving to a benefit concert in Wichita, Kansas when their Jeep flipped. Both men were thrown from the car. Rich was killed when a passing semi swerved to miss the Jeep and accidentally hit him. He was 41 years old. The Robinson family is a family of five with three kids under the age of 10. They choose to celebrate their birth of Christ, the birth of Christ in a unique way. On Christmas mornings, instead of focusing on the presents under the tree, they make pancakes, they make an urn of coffee, and they head downtown. Once there, they load the coffee and the food into the back of a red wagon. Then, with the eager help of their three-year-old, they pull the wagon around, around the mostly empty streets in search of homeless folks to offer a warm and filling breakfast on Christmas morning. All three of the Robinson kids took, look forward to this time of giving, giving a little bit of tangible love to people who otherwise would have been cold and without breakfast on Christmas. And finally, if you met Lucy at church, you'd probably think she was somebody's innocent dear grandmother. She's the kind of woman who will come and give you a huge hug and then introduce herself. You would never guess that Lucy is an ex-prostitute. When she was in her teens and her early 20s, drugs and prostitution dominated her life. Through an older Christian woman who reached out to her, Lucy met Jesus, and her life was completely transformed. 
To this day, almost 40 years later, later, Lucy lives near the same streets where she once worked, and she consistently opens her home to other young women who are caught in the vicious cycle. It is common knowledge on the streets that if you need anything, you can come to Lucy's house. She doesn't have a lot, but her home is always open. Prostitutes, pimps, drug users, drug dealers, and anyone else who most people try to avoid, Lucy invites them in. This is her way of loving people who are in desperate need of the hope and the love that Lucy found 40 years ago in Jesus Christ. So many various stories, so different from each other. The only thing that these people have in common is that they have learned at some point along their journeys that their lives are not about them. And the same is true for each of us this morning. Your life is not about you. Five words that will change the direction, the the purpose, the way you live your days and your breath, if you will understand that. Your life is not about you. Christ calls us to live a higher way, a higher way of living, to give our lives away. This is the last message in the series that we have been opened up our new year with, with our theme of now. And there is a sense of urgency in our theme this year, right now, because there is a sense of urgency in the call of Christ for each one of us to to give up our lives and to not live for ourselves, but to have our eyes open to the people that are around us, to the needs that are around us, and to meet them in tangible, life-changing ways. God is asking each of you to give away your life now. We have all these goals on the side of the wall here in the West Foyer, and none of them will happen if the people of grace do not choose to give their lives away. And so we are asking God to move in our hearts today, to stir within us where we need to give our lives away. At times in our lives, we get these internal nudges from God about how we are supposed to give our life away. Maybe it's uh, something we hear about uh, a need, or we see something on the news, or there becomes a need in our community, or we hear about a neighbor down the street, or whatever, and something internally says, man, that's not right. Something needs to change, or someone needs to help him. Someone needs to help her. And how we answer those nudges when they come, what our answer is in the next few seconds is so critical to our lives. Because we can either brush those off and go back to our everyday, or we can pause and say, God, do you want me to do something about that? It was Annie Dillard who said, how we live our days is how we will live our lives. And so those critical moments, those critical nudges that we get from God just in the everyday of our life to talk to this person, to encourage this person, or to go and do something radical— adds up to the kind of legacy that we will leave on this earth. Jesus knew a group of people like us. He knew a group of people like us. He had, he had asked them, he had said, I have something for you to do, the same way he says that to us. This group of men that he had called his disciples. And I want to look at a story today that you probably know. So go ahead and take out your Bibles. And if you need one today, our ushers are here in the main, and they are in the link, and they have Bibles for you so that you can follow along. Just stick your hand up, and they'll give you one so that you can follow along. And if you need a Bible, take that home with you. That's our gift to you. Bring it back with you next time you come. Matthew chapter 
14 is where we're going to be today. Matthew chapter 14. And we're going to read together a story that maybe you've heard before if you've been to church before. Uh, a story that many of us might know. But go ahead and stand and we'll read it together when you find it. Matthew chapter 14, verses 13 to 21. Matthew 14, verses 13 to 21. Let's read it together. When Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, This is a remote place, and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. Jesus replied, They do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. We have here only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Bring them here to me, he said. And he directed the people to sit down on the grass, taking the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and he broke the loaves. Then he gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the people. They all ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up twelve basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate was about 5,000 men, besides women and children. Go ahead and have a seat. Thanks for reading along. Now, before we kind of get into this story right here, I want you guys to, to take a look at uh, the verses just before, because here in verse 13, when we started reading, it says, when Jesus heard about what happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. So he's reacting to something that had happened just r- right before that in those verses. And so he, here in the beginning of chapter 14, uh, the writer Matthew tells us about Herod, who was the ruler of that part of Israel. The Romans had put him in charge, and they divided Israel up into four sections, and Herod was in charge of this particular section there in Galilee. He was not a kind man. He was a cruel man. In fact, his dad, Herod the Great, was the one who had ordered all the babies in Bethlehem to be killed when Jesus was a baby. And so now Herod the Tetrarch, who was Herod the Great's son, he arrests John the Baptist, who is Jesus' cousin. And he has him beheaded because of his pride, really. And so John the Baptist, who is Jesus' cousin, he is one of his probably close friends and he's one of his partners in ministry. He's also out there telling people the good news. Now this happens. And in verse 12, we read that John's disciples came and they told Jesus what had happened to John. And Jesus' response is to get away. This was his dear brother, his dear cousin, his dear friend. And he wants to get away. He wants to mourn. He wants to grieve. And so he wants to go to a solitary place. The trouble is that Jesus was becoming more and more popular. His ministry was growing. He was doing miracles, and, and people were wanting to be around him. And, and so when they heard that he was going to this other side of Galilee, they thought, well, let's just go too. And so they kind of follow him, and they get there to where he is. And Jesus would sometimes do miracles for all kinds of reasons. He would do miracles sometimes um, to, as a sign to point to who he was, right, as God and to prove his deity. Sometimes he would do miracles to uh, uh, teach a lesson that he was trying to get across, a point that he wanted to get across. Here in this instance, though, he does these miracles for another reason. Take a look at the, at the verse, verse 14. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, it says he had compassion on them, and he healed their sick. He does 
these miracles. He comes and he begins to teach and he begins to heal their sick because he has compassion on them. And he was already at the end of his rope. He, he needed to get away. He needed some quiet time. But the father gave him this initial, this, this extra burst of supernatural energy and he was able to continue to minister and to heal and to do his work that God, his father, had given him to do. Well, apparently he's doing this all day because the next verse, verse 15, says, As the evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, This is a remote place. It's getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. The disciples were concerned. Perhaps they were concerned about their own stomachs. Maybe their stomachs were starting to growl, and they were thinking, Jesus, come on now. We're doing this day after day after day. How many times can we hit Taco Bell for the fourth meal? It's like late again, and, and, and you're, you know, we need to send these people away. We're, we're hungry. They're hungry. But we're in a remote place. There's nothing around here. We need to send them away to the villages so that they can get something um, to eat. They, they feel concern. They feel this nudge for these people. Something needs to happen. But their response is pretty similar to ours. Because when they see a need, these people are going to be hungry. They say, let's send them away to, to somewhere else. And isn't that usually what we do? We, we hear about something. We learn about something. Or we see that there's a need in our community or a need for something. And we think, I hope someone else does something about that. And we kind of push it away from our mind. We, we call the church and say, hey, hey uh, the church needs to do something about this because so-and-so needs help. Instead of us responding, we send it away. And that's what Jesus' disciples did. But his response is, is really incredible. It's really telling what he thinks about them and about them sending people away. In verse 16, Jesus replies, they do not need to go away. What does he say? You give them something to eat. They don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. And in that moment, there is this great tension, right? Because they're the thing in Jesus, um, I thought you just said you want us to give them something to eat. And, and if we read down in verse 21, it tells us how many people were there. 5,000 men besides women and children. Well, they, they, there were lots of, of women that followed Jesus, just like there were lots of men. That's evidence in the New Testament. And so there's no reason to think there weren't as many women there, even more possibly, and, and then their children. So we're probably talking about a group of fifteen to 20,000 people conservatively. That's a big group of people. That's a lot of people to feed Jesus. I, you know, I thought you just said you want us to feed them, but I must have heard that wrong. Can you, can you repeat what you just said? Is kind of, I'm sure, the little dialogue that's kind of going on there. Jesus' answer is, though, they don't need to go anywhere. You, you feed them. And there's this tension there. They're like, Jesus, like 15,000 people. Like, we, we just scanned the crowd, and, and, and we came up with five loaves of bread and, and two fish. Like, what's that going to do, you know? Have you ever talked to your kids, and you ask them to do something, they kind of look at you like, like, and they're like, what do you want me to do about that? And you're kind of like, like what I said. And they're like, like what? And like what I said. And that's kind of what's going back here between Jesus' and disciples. He's like, I, like, I'd like you to do something. I'd like you to feed them. With what, Jesus? What? I'd like you to feed them with those five loaves of bread and those two fish. Like, what? And they kind of go back and forth, and there's a tension there. And isn't that a tension we often feel in our own hearts when we hear about something that needs to change, or we hear about a need where someone needs to step up and get involved? There's this tension because it's like, God, I thought you just might have said to me, I should do something about that. But, I mean, like, what do you want me to do about it? And we kind of, like, look up at him, and he kind of looks at it and says, 
do something. Like, what? And there's this tension that's there when God asks us to do something that maybe we think is beyond us or something that, that we can't do. We do the math just like they did the math. 15,000 people, five loaves of bread. That's not very good math. And so in our lives, we do the same thing. God, there's just no way that I can fit it in. I mean, you know what time I have. You, you know my gifts and my skills. And what, what do you want me to do about it? We kind of say to God. And, and, and I have my own things going on. How can I pour into other people? How can I give my life away? And we come up with some excuses. And, and here are some of the ones that we often use. See if these sound familiar to you. We might say, God, I'm tapped out. God, I'm at the end of my rope. I've got nothing left to give. I know I've said that to God at different times in my life. For, that's how I felt. And I believed he wanted me to do more and, and serve in a new way or a different way. And I thought, God, I've got nothing left to give. Or, or we might say, God, I've already given so much. I mean, I'm done. It's time for someone else to step up and give. I'm, I'm retired. Maybe you've felt that way before. Like, I've, I've already been given a lot. I'm doing enough. And I'm t- it's time for someone else to give their life away. Or maybe you've said this, God, what can I do about it? I don't have anything of value to give. I, I, don't, have any, I don't have enough resources. I don't have enough skills or talents or gifts. I, I can't do anything about that. Or sometimes we just flat out say, no way, God. This is my life. I'm not going to give away what I have. Have you ever used one of those excuses in your conversations with God or with yourself? It's so much easier to come up with excuses to say no than to simply trust God and say yes. But I love his response to his disciples where he says, no, you feed them. He says that to them because he knows that our faith only grows when we actually need to exercise it. Our faith only grows when we actually need to exercise it. That tension that we feel when God asks us to do something that we don't think we can do or to do something to give our lives away. And we feel like, that's impossible. I can't do that. I can't get involved. That's, that, that's your faith muscle being stretched. That's your faith muscle being exercised. And it has to be exercised for us to be people of faith. If God only asked us to do things that were simple, if God only asked us to do things that were easy, would we need faith? No. No. And so many of us as followers of Jesus, we don't live lives of faith because we only do what's comfortable. We only do what's safe. We only do what we can do, what we feel comfortable doing, what we're good at. And so some of us as followers of Jesus, we never ever use faith in our lives. Because we never live outside of what we know we can do. And, and we haven't exercised faith in years. And Jesus says to his disciples, to them, you, you feed them. You give away what you have. And you know what happens when we step out? When we, when we stop playing it safe and we give ourselves away to the call of Christ, whatever he asks we see how he comes through. We see how he uses us. And, and we want more. Our faith grows. Our faith muscle grows. And, and then we're ready to do whatever he wants us to do. How does Jesus want you to give your life away right now? How does Jesus want you to give your life away right now? The disciples say, we, we can't do anything about this, Jesus. We, all we have is five loaves of bread and, and two fish. And I love his response to them in verse 18. They, they say, this is all we got. Five loaves of bread, two fish. And he says to them, well, bring them here to me. 
okay, Jesus, we got 15,000 people and five loaves and okay. He says, well, just bring it to me. Just bring it to me. Jesus tells them, just bring me what you have. He knows it's a remote place. And he was his idea to go there. He knows there's not lots of places around for them to eat. He knows that they hadn't packed a picnic lunch for 15,000 people. It's a lot of Doritos to carry, right? He knows they, they weren't ready for this. They hadn't looked up, you know, uh, UPS to get the logistics to efficiently feed and deliver food to a crowd that size. He knows that. But he says, just bring me what you do have. And it says the same thing to us. He designed our lives to be given away, not to live self-focused or self-centered or just on what's right in front of us. He knows that we are most fulfilled, that we are most engaged, that we are most alive when we are living lives of faith, when we are passing on what, to others what he has given to us. That's why we're so filled up with joy, with contentment, and with peace when we help someone, when we spend quality time pouring into our kids, when we meet a need that someone else has. That feels good to us. When, when we serve God in an area that He is moving, when we accomplish something at work, when we pour into a project, we pour into something else, something inside of us just is like, yeah, this is awesome. That's because that's how God made us. He made us to give ourselves away. And we are most dead when we are self-centered and self-focused. Our lives are boring, predictable, safe, because we're just doing what, what we can do and what's comfortable and easy. God says, just bring me what you have. We say to him, I feel tapped out. I'm at the end of my rope. I've got nothing left to give. He says, I have compassion to fill you so that you can give it to others. We say, I've already given so much. I, I feel like I'm done. He says, hey, you don't know that. I have so much more for you to do and so much more for you to see in your lifetime. You're not done yet. I've got more for you. Or, or we say to God, I, I don't have anything of value to offer. I don't, I don't have enough resources. I don't have enough money. I don't, I don't have enough education. I don't have enough experience. God, I've got nothing of value to offer. He says, that's not true. He says, don't focus on what you don't have. Just bring me what you do have. He said to the disciples, just Bring me the five loaves and two fish. I know it's all you got. Just bring that to me. That's enough. Just bring that to me. That's enough. Just bring me the experience that you do have. Just bring me the resources that you do have. Just bring me the time that you do have. Just bring me the skills that you do have. Because I'm really good at making up for what you don't have. I'm really good at that, says God to us. When you bring me what you do have, the small amount, the simple, whatever it is, I'm really good at coming alongside and making up for what you don't have. I can't tell you how many times I've been discouraged in my life as I've been trying to pursue Christ and trying to pour my life out for others. Whether it was in Philadelphia when we were there, Tara and I were 21, and we helped to start this ministry, and we know what we were doing. And we learned in the school of mistakes. And, and, and then God calls us to, to Goshen, Indiana, away from my home, away from my family. God, you want me to go where? To do what? To be the children's pastor? I remember one day coming into the office on a Monday. I was so discouraged. 
walked right past the staff, just into my office, and sat down at my desk. The day before, I had gotten just reamed upside and down by a family that believed they could do my job better than I could. And was just feeling so discouraged. And I remember sitting there, and just sitting at my desk, and just began to weep and sob. It's tears coming down. I'm saying, God, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what I was thinking, but I'm in over my head. And I remember sitting there and, 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 and coming up with all these, these things I was sort of thinking to myself. Like, I, I grew up in a church of 75 people. What, what do I know about leading a children's ministry like this? God, when I came to Grace, there were 40 volunteers. God, we have 400 now. I don't know how to lead that many people. I, I, don't, I don't know how to make sure we're doing the right stuff. And I remember just, just kind of giving all these excuses to God. I'm not qualified. I, I can't do this. And I remember him saying something like this to me. He said, John, that's okay. You're right. You're not qualified. No one is. But just have faith and I will be with you. Just have faith and I will be with you. See, I, I know what it's like to, to feel like I'm at the end and I have nothing left to give. I know what it's like to feel like I don't have what it takes, God, to, to do what I think you're asking me to do. I know what it's like to exercise that faith muscle, that tension, and say, this is all I have, God, but I'll do with it what I can and I'll trust you to do the rest. And you know what? God comes alongside these disciples, Jesus does, and, and in verse 19, Jesus takes what they have. Take a look. He says, bring it here to me in verse 18. And then 19 says, he directed the people to sit down on the grass. And in one of the other gospels that tells the same story, it says that he had them sit down in groups of 50 and 100. So he's had them sit down in groups. He tells the disciples, have everybody sit down, you know, in, in manageable numbers so that we can, you know, pass it out. And then it says, he takes the five loaves and the two fish and he looks up to heaven and he gives thanks and he breaks the loaves and then he gave them to the disciples. He gave it to the disciples. And I imagine they had to have extreme, extreme faith and extreme nervousness at this point. Because he has them sit everybody down in sections of people. And, and they're probably thinking, why? Jesus, why are we doing this? We told you we have five loaves of bread and two fish. Why do you want us to make everyone sit down in sections of 50 and 100? They're going to think that we're going to feed them. And that's crazy. And, and then Jesus, he, 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 he passes it out to them. He, you know, he prays and, and he gives some to Peter and he gives some to John and he gives some to Andrew. And, and they're thinking, what am I going to do with this? I, I, and they're looking behind him and, and they got all these people sitting back there ready to receive something. And Jesus, you've given me this? What am I supposed to do with that? How is this going to be enough for them? And in that moment, they could have paused right there and just said, God, I, I, don't, think, I don't think you know what you're doing. I, I, this is not enough. And right there, right there is where so much ministry that God wants to do in our lives dies. Because he has given us what we have. And we look at ourselves and we say, God, this is all I have. And you want me to do that? And we never turn around to use what God's given us. We just stay right here and say, I can't do it. And the ministry that God had for us, the, the life that God had for us, the calling that he had in our lives 
just dies right there. And we'll never know. We'll never know the experiences that God wanted us to have. We never know the people that God wanted us to reach because of the times where we've said, God, that's just not enough. But I'm so glad the disciples, they did. They took this and they had to be thinking, God, okay, this doesn't seem like enough, but they turn around and they give it out to the people that are sitting there. And they go off to the next section and they look in their hands or they look in their, their bags that they were carrying and they have more. And they give it to them and they kind of look across the way at the other disciple and, and he's like, and they give it to them and, and then they give it to them and 15,000 people then are all of a sudden fed. And the Bible says in verse 20, they all ate and were satisfied. All of a sudden this reached all this. They were eight and they were satisfied, and I love what it says next. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. Isn't that cool? Because this is what they had when they started, and then 15,000 people got fed, and this is what they still had when they ended. I wonder if the disciples would have gone on to to start churches that would have reached thousands of people. I wonder if they would have gone on to, to, to do miracles, to heal people, to save people, if they had never taken that basket of food and turned around and gave it to the people that were sitting right there. Sometimes we think, God, I can't do these big things, but God just says, I want you just to obey me in faith in the everyday little things I'm asking you to do. Those nudges that I give you to talk to this person, to share your faith with this person, to go visit a neighbor, to call a relative, to step out and serve in your church. I want you to obey me in those little things. I know they take faith, but we can do it together. And when we step out in faith and we do this, our faith begins to grow and we can do more and we feel like we can do more and like we can do more. The disciples would have never gotten to the book of Acts if they hadn't have turned around and gave that food in Matthew chapter 14. And you'll never see what God wants to do through your life if you don't just simply obey Him in the small, everyday nudges that He gives you to step out in faith and obey Him and trust Him to come through. He knows you're not qualified. That's all right. He, he, he can come alongside and He can fill in the cracks where you don't have. That's what He does. That's what He invites us to do. Just like He did with those 12 in Matthew 14. Did their faith grow that day in Jesus? My goodness. They saw it happening. Their their pride didn't grow. Their their pride didn't say, hey, do you see what we did? They knew they did nothing. This is all they had, but somehow God fed everybody. (laughs) Their pride didn't grow. Our pride grows when we do what we know we're good at, when we do what's safe, when we do what's simple. We say, I can do that. I can do this. I'm good at this. I'll just do this. That's our pride. But when we step out in faith and do something that we can't do, that if God doesn't come through, I'm going to look like an idiot. When I step out with that kind of faith, that's when, that's when God shines down. He uses me in incredible ways. And I don't get pride-filled. I get glory-filled for Jesus. That's the kind of lives that he's asking us to live. He says, I want you to give your life away. Where is God asking you to simply trust Him and to give your life away now. Where is He asking you to give your life away? That tension that you feel in those moments when He's asking you to do something and you don't 
know if you can. That is that faith muscle being stretched. That's that faith muscle being exercised. Every great movement of God started right here in someone's faith muscle where they thought, I can't do this, God. I feel like you're asking me to to do something, and I don't think I can do it. Every great movement of God starts right here. When he asks us to do something, and we look down at what we have, like the disciples looked at that basket of food in their hands, and they said, that's not enough. But that great movement of God will start when we turn around, and we give it, and he begins to give more, and we give that away. And begins to give more. That tension, that faith muscle inside grows, and we begin to have this greater faith in what God can do through us. You want us to start Grace Community Church in Goshen? A handful of families asked back in 1954, and God said, I'm with you. You can do it. You, you want us to reach orphans in Asia, Lord? Said John McCollum and Dave Atkins just 10 years ago. Where is God asking you to give your life away right now? Where is God asking you to give your life away right now? What nudge does he put in your heart? Do you ever think, man, I wish that I would have had someone to talk to when I was a teenager? Man, have you got thoughts like that? Maybe God is calling you to to serve alongside a ministry like the Post or the Boys and Girls Club or Axis here at Grace. Or you ever think, You ever think, uh, man, I wish someone would go and and visit my daughter in jail. Maybe God's putting in you a burden to be a part of our grace and jail ministry here at church that does incredible things for God in Elkhart County. Or do you ever think this? I'd love to see the world how God sees it. I'd love, I can't stop thinking about those people around the world who have never heard the name of Jesus. Maybe he's putting a nudge in you to go on one of our mission trips this year. Step out in faith and cross an ocean and see what God sees when he looks at the other side of the world. It's very different from what we see on our TVs. It's very different from what we read in our newspapers. When we see the, way, the world the way God sees it, he begins to do incredible things in our hearts that makes us crazy, makes us radical for him, and it's a wonderful thing. And some of us just start sitting on this side of no instead of stepping out and seeing what God has for us on the other side of yes. Or maybe sometimes you think something like this, I'm so glad I had my coach in my life. I'm so glad I had my teacher in my life when I was a kid. Maybe God's calling you to pour into the next generation, to get involved in a kid city ministry, to get involved in some way in your local school where you're pouring in to kids. Maybe you sometimes think this, I wish I would have had someone to counsel me when I was considering an abortion. Maybe you need to get involved in a ministry to scared women. God has a calling on each one of our lives. And I don't know where God's asking you to step out. I, I don't talk to God for you. I, I know where God's calling me. And, and, and it, but what I do know is that God is calling each of you to step out. God is calling each one of his followers to give their lives away. It was Jesus who said, if anyone wants to come after me and follow me and be my disciple, he must deny himself. He must pick up his cross to follow me. And if we are not denying ourselves, if we are not giving our lives away, then we are not following Christ. His words, not mine. We must deny ourselves. We must give ourselves away 
if we are to pick up the cross that he has given us and follow him. God has made us to give our lives away. It is when we are most alive. Our faith will grow. We will be filled in awe towards God as we see him move in fresh ways. We'll never be, we'll be so fulfilled and so satisfied like never before if we step up and give our lives away. If we become other-centered instead of self-centered, don't take what you have to the grave. Pass it on before you go. Don't go to the grave with a full tank. What a tragedy. People who die. The best way to die is to barely get there because you're running on empty, because you've given it all away for the cause of Christ to other people that have been in your lives. That is how Jesus wants us to live. He will fill us back up and we will continue to pour it out again until he calls us home. Our kids in phase two, which is our Wednesday night ministry, memorized all together this verse this past week. And so if you have a child, maybe you recognize it. From Isaiah 6, 8. A powerful calling where God calls the prophet Isaiah. Here's what Isaiah writes. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom will I send and who will go for us? And Isaiah said, Here am I. Send me. And as God looks down across our cities, as he looks down into our county, to our state, he is saying, Who will I send? Who will go for us? Who will go and represent us? Who will take my love? Who will take my grace? Who will take the gospel to people who need it? Are you willing to say, here I am, Lord. Send me. Wherever you want to send me, I'm willing to go. If it means I got to move, that's easy, Lord. I'm doing it. If it means that I got to leave a, a comfortable job, that's easy, God. I'm doing it. If it means that I got to get more involved in my local church, that's easy, God. I'm doing it. I'm stepping out for you. Wherever you want me to go, whatever you want me to do, here I am. Send me. I'll be your man. I'll be your woman. I'll stop living this life that's just focused on my little piece of territory, and I will live with a greater understanding of the needs in the world around me. God is asking. He is putting a nudge in your heart. Who will go for me? Who will go and rescue those orphans in Africa? Who will go and rescue those orphans in Asia? Who will do something to rescue the next generation? Listen, if you don't reach your kids, who will? If you don't pour Jesus into your children, who will? If you don't go and reach your neighbor, who's going to do it? If you don't talk to your coworker, if you don't reach out to your boss, who's going to do it? It's not my job. It's not the church's job. That's your job. God put that calling on every believer, every person who calls himself a follower of Jesus. He says, take up your cross. Deny yourself. Follow me. Give your life away. It's our job. It's our responsibility. So he's asking, what are you doing to give your life away right now? There's something inside of us when, when we hear these stories about other people who have chosen to give their life away. There's something inside of us that becomes inspired because that's how God made you. And something happens who says, I want to live that way. I want to give my life away. I want God to say those things about me. I want a story to be written about me. It's because God made you that way. So step out and begin to give your life away right now in faith, following him. Three action steps as we 
come away from this because we don't want to just get all excited and not do anything. So many ministries have died on the field of good intention. We want them to be carried out. Three simple action steps. Number one, this week, do one new thing to give your life away. Something you haven't done before, something that doesn't come easy or natural, whatever, but do one new thing to give your life away. Number two, if you are a regular here at Grace, you worship here, this is your home church, and you don't serve on a regular basis on one of the serving teams, you need to get on one immediately. You need to give your life away. You need to serve in your local church. Listen, we, we are family. This is, this is a family, a church family. And, and it takes people to, to park all the cars, help park the cars. It takes people to check in all the kids. It takes people to, to us here in the main and in the, in the link. It takes people to, to greet. It takes people to serve in the tech ministries. It takes people to, to go into the jails. It takes people to do all the ministries that we got. And, and, and if you're coming and, and you're not serving, then, then you're like that kid in the family who never does their chores and just expects everyone else to sort of pitch in and do it for you. We're a family, right? So you, get, you gotta get involved. You gotta do something. And, and here's the other thing. If, if you're coming and, and you're not involved in serving anywhere, then you're a consumer. And, and the problem with that is that the, the church is not a product to be consumed. The church is a movement of people. And if you're not moving with those people, then, then you're not really a part of the church. You need to get involved. You need to do something. Do something new this week. Get on one of the serving teams here at Grace. Number three, start praying this prayer regularly to God. Write it down and just pray it once a week, every day, once a month, I don't know, but start praying it regularly. God, how do you want me to give my life away now? God, how do you want me to give my life away now? Would you bow your heads and pray with me as we close today? And as we start in our time of prayer today, I, I, I want you to, first of all, just think of the people who poured into you. And I want you to take just a moment and sort of thank God for them. Think of the people across your life, maybe now or maybe it was earlier in your life, or I don't know, probably both. But just thank God for those people. Name them to Him, tell them thanks, and maybe even send them a note this week. But I want you to thank God for the people that have given their lives away so that you could be the person that you are today. Someone did. And then I want you to take out your, your notes where you wrote down those, those three action steps. And I want you to look at the first one and think about it. What is that new thing you're going to do this week? I want you to write it down. Because if we don't, if we don't write stuff down, we, we won't follow through. So I want you, I want you to write down what is that, that new thing this week that you're going to do to give your life away. And if nothing doesn't come to you right this moment, that's okay. But, but just follow through and do that. And, and then 
take a look at that second action step. And, and where is it that you're going to get plugged in this week? Write down the, the area that you're going you're gonna to contact the person who needs to be contacted so you can start serving. Write down that person's name. Write down that area of ministry or, and find out this week. Get plugged in. Begin to serve. And the third thing is just to begin to pray right now. Just talk to him, talk to God right now. God, how do you want me to give my life away right now? Ask him. God, I'm a college student. How do you want me to give away my life right now? God, I'm a mom. God, I'm a, I'm a single guy. I don't know. God, how do you want me to give my life away right now? God, I know that uh, you're calling some into ministry today, into new ministries that maybe they've never tried before. It's exciting, Lord, to see how you're going to answer, come through and provide what's lacking. God, I know that you're calling, you're calling people to, to, into new ministries and new territories that aren't even happening yet, Lord. God, you're calling people to, uh, into homes that have never been reached before. Neighbors, co-workers, and bosses, and relatives. And you're calling people to step out in faith and share you with them, with those people. God, you're calling people into, into ministries that, that are here at Grace that are key to, to making our church be the vehicle it is to reach people. And uh, God, you're, you're stepping in and calling people to those, to those areas. God, you're calling some people to even leave this church, to uh, step out to another part of the state or another part of the world because you have work for them to do. What a blessing it is, God, to be a part of your kingdom where the God of the universe says, I have something for you to do. And you allow us to be involved the way that you allowed these disciples to be involved in this miracle with Jesus. You allow us to be involved in the work that you're doing. When we get out of our way and we just say, God, here I am, send me. Jesus, continue to move in our hearts today.